0: Welcome to the Swamp Podcast. My
1: name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombas.
0: I'm James Cohn. And
2: I'm Hannah Rassinen.
0: We are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp We have been seeing way too much of each other <laughs> <laughs> in the past few days. That's right. I keep running into James and Hannah in public. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think the most awkward time would be me crashing your anniversary date in the ritzy part of Uptown. Mm-hmm. But really, the most awkward time was us going to a movie together by mistake. <laughs> Mostly because it felt like James just absolutely fucking hated the movie. It just felt like
3: tension emanating off right. of your body. I mean, that was kind of... Yeah, I think the film's yeah. purpose. But yeah, I, I I did not care for it at all. If y'all were not there, I would have walked yeah. out about halfway through.
2: I always know... <laughs> When you are not enjoying a movie, I mean, I will say it is not a fun movie. No. But I know when you're not enjoying a movie because you have these deep sighs that you're just like exhaling air deeply. <sighs> yeah. Waiting for it to be over. But yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, it was something else.
0: I was surprised to see y'all there because it's like pitched directly to my tastes. Yeah. And I would not have invited you.
3: You know, well, <laughs> I, I was interested because I, do you like that mondo style of film?
0: No, you don't. No one does. No, I like no one it at- except for Kansas Bowling, who made her own mondo movie.
3: <laughs> well, I was gonna say I like the aesthetic of the like fake documentary, really grimy look. Like I was excited that it was kind of mimicking that. Yeah, that's what sold me on it.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't know. I feel like I'm always excited to see. Somebody making kind of like a provocative film about the experience of being a woman. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting art that comes out of that and like thinking about the different modes of violence that we have to kind of sift through.
0: I, for one, fucking hate Mondo movies. It's like one of my least favorite genres, but yeah. I do really like this director. Yeah. Uh, her name is Kansas Bowling. She made a movie when she was 17 or it came out when she was 17. She made it even younger in her backyard called BC Butcher, which was this kind of like kitschy throwback slasher uh, with like a kind of caveman aesthetic to it. It was very like the Flintstones, but it's a slasher. Uh, and it was very funny. Yeah. Um. And, you know, even just it being a backyard movie from a teenager, I get those like warm Matt Farley vibes from it. You know, there's like a kind of like, let's put on a show quality. Uh, her new movie is called Cuddly Toys. And that's what we're describing here. If you don't know what a Mondo movie is, uh, in the 70s, Italian filmmakers in particular would do these fake documentaries that had some real footage interspersed with basically racist and sexist recreations of shock value schlock.
3: Yeah, I think Faces of Death is probably the most notorious Mm -hmm. of
0: that series. Mondo Kane was another one. There's a bunch of cannibal exploitation ones in particular that are like, can you believe these weirdo tribesmen around the world and especially in Africa eat human flesh. Or like eat monkey brains yeah. and stuff like that. Just really like bottom of the barrel schlock. And you know, we we are big genre enthusiasts here, so like for me to say that this is like beyond the realm of bad taste, like I have a pretty strong stomach for this kind of stuff. But it seems like this young director who's in her twenties now, I shouldn't be infantilizing her as much as I am, but she seems to have a genuine appreciation for this bad taste kind of filmmaking. And like Hanna was saying, she's using that exploitation aesthetic to talk about like actually feminist topics. And it's kind of like turning it on its head a little bit. Or is it? There's a lot of like (laughs) ironic humor in it where much like old Mondo movies, she's mixing in actual interviews with women who've been raped and abused by men with recreations of women being raped and abused by men. And there's like an ironic humor to the recreations so that like scenes go three or four beats too far. And like sitting in that audience with like horror bros, laughing boisterously with some of the violence, it was like super uncomfortable and made me turn on the audience, but also kind of made me sour in the movie. It was like, well, at least part of this is intentional on the director's behalf. Like, she is mining some sort of like bad taste, ironic humor out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, crass I,
3: material. I took it like you know, like I Spit on Your Grave and those movies that have these horrible rape scenes that are kind of from the male gaze. And this movie has some very intense, really awful rape scenes that seem to be kind of removing that and just showing it for how brutal and awful it really is. So I got, I think I got the intention of that. It was not a, pleasurable viewing experience that I could have done without all of that.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. I appreciated that there was not an ounce of titillation in the rape. All of the men were portrayed as like horrific, brutish monsters. And I don't know. I think I I struggled with whether the degree of violence that we were subjected to was worth any point that she was making and i think that that's something that you have to balance when you're making a film like this i do think that it was a pretty effective tracking of the sex sexualization of women from childhood to teenagerdom um it's presented like an educational uh documentary that kansas bowling is presenting
0: Professor Kansas, yeah, professor in character, yeah,
2: who has graduated from teenage studies, studies yeah. yeah.
4: Whatever.
2: <laughs> um, so I mean, aesthetically, it was really like kind of beautiful, like cheap candy '70s style aesthetics. And the first real scene is this like child pageant, and that is showing like this little girl being sexualized from an early age, and it really shows how like. Girls are sexualized, and it is reinforced that this is your primary value, so women start to behave in a way that shows their sexuality and is appealing to men. And then men prey upon women, and then women are punished for behaving sexually prior to, you know, sexual assault or death. Like, it, it really is a kind of a vicious cycle, but I don't know. I just... I got something out of it, but I don't know if it was interesting enough or co- I don't know if it was compelling enough to justify like the scenes where I was kind of bored and the scenes where I was subjected to minutes of rape.
3: And it is entirely too long. It it was right at like two hours. No, it's shorter than that. It was, too, dude, it was like an hour I 50 think, something yeah, minutes. Yeah, I think it's maybe? like an hour 43. Oh, wow. Way too long. And you could feel it, too. And there were maybe five or six genuine laughs in there. But to have to sit through, like, 20 minutes of this film to get to, like, a joke about pouring a Modelo into a wine glass. and like that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, and it got a laugh. (laughs) But you could tell the audience was so craving to, like, something. Release the tension, yeah. It was a tense room. I don't know. It just... I really disliked it.
0: I liked it more than y'all, I think. And yeah. but but the parts that interest me are the things that have nothing to do with its political points and have nothing to do with the uh, Mondo spoofing. Like my favorite aspects of it were when it felt like a travel diary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you can tell this was shot in all kinds of cities. There's parts that are obviously shot in Vegas and New York and LA, Mexico. Like she traveled all over and it seems like over years sort of spliced all these different ideas together and especially in the back half i could see how it would test your patience but it got looser with like the logic of it and all these different scenes and ideas were intercut amongst each other and became borderline experimental and i know this is her second feature but in the meantime she's directed like dozens of music videos and it goes into like music video psychedelia and how she allows all these different ideas to sort of bleed into each other and there's like minutes on end of just like music and images combined
3: and the whole thing shot on 16 millimeters, so it has like a beautiful look to mm-hmm. it i yeah i would have preferred if it was just like this tapestry of the female experience there are moments where where it is
0: that and i think that's where it shines yeah
2: yeah i really liked the real interviews with yeah. with women i thought those that those were really strong
0: and there is something cool about the idea that like it sounds like she had trouble finding distributors who want to touch this because it is really incendiary stuff mm-hmm. not dissimilar to gregor rocky's doom generation which we watched in theaters earlier this year kind of got buried upon initial release because it's also a rough watch a much better film though i think we can all can yeah. get on that yeah. but uh <laughs> like because she can't find main- mainstream distribution for it this is on a traveling roadshow style rollout right now where she is traveling for Q and A's. We bounced before the Q and A and the movie theater owner was trying to like drag us back in the room and we're like, <laughs> you, you, sure? you got to oh, go. No, we're good. <laughs> uh, but there is something sort of like old school about that. Like in the grindhouse era, movies used to be released like regionally and had even sometimes the director would like do gimmicks where they like run through the theater in the killer's mask to like scare you at a key moment. There's like something genuinely retro about it. I just happen to hate this one retro genre she's playing with.
3: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I wish I liked the movie more because I would have stayed and asked her a question or been curious, but I had no interest in like (laughs) anything having to do with that movie. So yeah, we just bounced. Well,
0: you know, not our most successful hang.
3: (laughs) 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 Very tense, uh, tense time in the theater. What else have y'all been watching since the last time we talked?
2: So I uh, checked out two older movies. Uh, the first is Tukibuki, uh, directed in 1973 uh, by Jibril Diop Mambeti. It is about a young couple in Senegal who are uh, kind of disillusioned with life in Senegal, and they dream of moving to Paris. So they travel to... They're traveling to Dakar to get to Paris. They're young. They don't really have any money. So they're trying to figure out ways to like uh, steal it or con people. They like go to this. Um, I think it's it's like a wrestling like fighting match. And they try to steal like the betting money. And they take the wrong chest, which is full of like omenic talismans. They rob um, this homosexual man. And steal all of his clothes.
0: And he's got beautiful clothes. He has
2: beautiful clothes. And that is... Um, I mean, one thing I have to say about this film is it is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's beautifully shot, but the style is just fantastic. Like, it's very earth-toned. And then, especially when once they get this cachet of clothes, it's like bright, primary, like electric yellow and purple and pink. But... I think it's like an hour and a half it feels like a very hot kind of sad desperate movie it's it is naturalistic but there's this little like string of surrealism with the style uh, and this um, the score is repeating this very whimsical little song about Paris like there's this fantastic dream that they have of this life that they're going to lead and it feels you can feel throughout the movie that it's kind of unattainable. Uh, There's also a lot of um, a couple of scenes of slaughtering animals, which are very difficult to watch. I don't normally love violence against animals in film. (laughs) You know, it's not not my favorite thing. I do feel like it it makes sense in the context of the film, but I really struggled with it. And I would I don't know, I, I really wouldn't recommend this to anyone that has a problem with that because it's pretty brutal. I will
1: avoid it.
3: Yeah, you had you had me until you yeah. brought up the animal stuff. I can't do it. There's something that's like a turnoff for like 70s and 60s art films in particular yeah. where
0: it's like, this is real shit. Like we're right. going to like force out. you to watch something real. Yeah. That's like educational for you to, to like face the harsh realities of life. That like, even though it is something that's very upsetting, it almost feels cliche Right. Like, especially, like, uh, we watched Benny's video. uh, It was just like, okay, I've seen this before. Like, you're not shocking the normies out of their complacency. You're, like, showing artsy audiences something they've seen a thousand
3: times. It's almost numbing. Yeah, and it's not that deep. Like, I get it. I get that we're animals, too, and this and that. But, like, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing I would say is that it is such a part of how we live and it's not something that we have to look at because this is specifically like slaughtering cows and goats it's like i consider all animals kind of equally valuable like i it doesn't really matter to me if it's an animal that is intended for consumption in our society or not it's like still painful to watch but it Mm -hmm. i mean it is something that like i eat beef i eat chickens right it's like stuff that it happens right and it is also like and it won't stop yeah and and cross-culturally people butcher animals like it is a part of the way that everybody lives but it's still very difficult to watch and i have mixed feelings about using it for like an artistic purpose but this is a very cool movie. So Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll co-sign that. I saw this yeah. at the Broad, the same place we watched Cuddly Toys.
2: Are you Oh, you saw it on the big screen? Yeah, oh, uh, man. there's a
0: local festival called Patois that plays oh, okay. like politically sharp <laughs> cinema, especially yeah. about black like representation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw it at that festival. It, it was fantastic. Yeah. It doesn't need my co-signing like Martin <laughs> Scorsese is a huge championing of this movie. Yes.
2: Yeah, it's part of his like world cinema yeah. project.
0: And it's fucking great. It's really good, like, low-budget DIY Mm -hmm. filmmaking that punches way above its, you know, budget. Yeah.
2: And I have to say, it has one of the most, like, beautiful sex scenes I've ever Mm -hmm. seen, where, like, the couple is... They're, like, making love by the water, and you just see the water on the rocks, and you hear them, But you and you see a hand at some point, like, reach up on this guy's bicycle. So it's very, like... I don't know. It's very minimalistic, but really sensual and beautiful. Anyway, Mm. um, and then I watched uh, Blonde Venus, which was directed in 1932 by Joseph von Sternberg, starring Marlena Diedrich, Herbert Marshall and Cary Grant. Um, Herbert Marshall and Marlena Diedrich are married. He gets radium poisoning because he is working with radium and in order to help pay for his medical treatment, uh Marlena Diedrich has to start moonlighting as a uh kind of like cabaret performer or like a she's like working in a in a nightclub she's performing. And then she meets Cary Grant, who's this like very famous, very wealthy man, and kind of starts to fall in love with him. And it, it plays out a little bit like Indecent Proposal. And then once Herbert Marshall comes back from Germany, um, having been cured of his radium poisoning, it kind of branches into something else, uh, which was very cool. Uh, This is pretty difficult to find. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. So I had to buy the DVD on Amazon and I am almost positive (laughs) that it was a bootleg, Uh, (laughs) but I... I don't know. It's really, you know, black and white, very sensuous. Um, I really love Herbert Marshall. I'm not really familiar with Marlena Diedrich. I haven't watched a lot of her films, but I felt like this was, she was like cool, calm, collected, very, very Effortlessly cool. She has great bone structure. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So if you can get your paws on this, then, you know, I would recommend it. Uh, But Brittany, what have you been watching? Um... I haven't been
1: watching a lot of movies. I just haven't had like the mental capacity mm-hmm. to like handle movies. So it's been like a lot of, you know, um reruns of kitchen nightmares and nice. dumb shit like that. Mindless stuff. <laughs> but I did watch speaking <laughs> of dumb shit, uh Shotgun Wedding that came out last year. J Lo? Yes. <laughs> um it's not very good. <laughs> um it was like an Amazon original, and I like a rom com. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, I got takeout with some folks last night, and we we're at an apartment. It's like let's watch a movie, and I'm like, I don't know, this looks fine. <laughs> put it on. Um, so it's like one of those like star studded cast rom coms. Is like- Jay
0: Cool in it too? Jay
3: Cool. Jennifer Coolidge?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <J>. <laughs>
1: Jennifer cool. Coolidge is in it. Uh, Cheech Martin. Um, Lenny Kravitz.
3: Lenny Kravitz? Yeah. Uh, he's,
1: yeah, he's he's actually good in it. And um, I can't remember her name, but she was the woman in Sex in the City, the artist that Samantha had her lesbian playing oh, with. Oh, yeah, I remember her. She's fabulous, but yeah. I can't remember her name. Um, so J. Lo and Josh Duhamel are getting married. And J. Lo is comes from like a stupid rich family and they kind of play it off as like, Oh, like it was a destination wedding and they went to like an Island in the Philippines. So it's like, man, she's marrying this poor guy who couldn't afford a better destination wedding than the Philippines. Weird. And he's like goofy and he can't get his shit together. Like he falls in the ocean because he like, he can't do anything right. And her parents aren't sold on him yet. And they have this engagement party and a bunch of dumb, fun, rom-com stuff happens. It's really goofy. Um, and then the next day they they're gonna be getting married and pirates take over like the wedding party, huh. hold them hostage, put them in the pool, and they're like, Hey, um, we need forty-five million dollars, or we're gonna like kill the bride and groom. It doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> There were, there's like twists and turns and stuff like that that happened later on. But, like, the payoff isn't, like, worth it, if it makes sense. But it did solidify the fact that, like, for me, that Jennifer Lopez is just not fucking good at acting. (laughs) And I, you know, there's certain movies, like, I thought she was good in Selena. And then I was thinking, I'm like, I remember that movie enough. She was pretty good in it, I think. And Angel Eyes. Honestly,
0: her couple. But she's horrible. Movies in the 90s, she was, like, sharp. She worked with Soderbergh. We watched that Oliver Stone movie. She was really good in it. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, she was really good in like Out of Sight. That's, That's the Soderbergh Soderberg. Uh U Turn. That's she was, the Oliver Stone one. Something happened yeah, She was charming in like Made in Manhattan, too. <laughs> like those yeah. 90s rom coms.
1: Yeah. It was just very, she seemed tired in it. And just her acting was, how do they say the young, like the ick, just giving me the pure ick. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like very forced. I mean,
3: at this point, I don't think she needs to do no. movies, yeah, why try? so uh, yeah. it seems like you would probably just be phoning it in, Yeah, like, yeah, I need a like paycheck.
0: It. it kind of felt like she was phoning in in Hustlers, and I know that the movie has a lot of like ardent fans, but I didn't like she was that just that like, movie. she's there, like- it's iconic because she showed up. Yeah, right. Yeah, present. she's just such an like. Yeah. I think that's like, what like she Cher in the third either. act of Mamma Mia
3: 2. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> right. it's Cher, and that's the entire gag. But it's yeah.
1: kind of like I feel like that's her now in movies. Is like she appears, so it's good enough.
3: She's yeah. playing J Lo.
1: <laughs> but I don't know. It was just it was fucking stupid. Like her and her husband to be like got um, zip tied together. And she had like a a hand grenade in her hand, and he's like, "Oh my god, you won't be able to throw it far enough, so you have to hold on to this hand grenade." And they're just like running through an island, and she has a hand grenade, and they're zip tied with their hands. And I'm like, "Oh, I Uh, hate it. It was just painful."
0: This sounds like content. This doesn't sound
3: like a movie, you know? Yeah, I'm trying (laughs) to make this distinction (laughs) lately. A lot of Netflix, yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, wasn't a fan of it. But it wasn't, like, fucking terrible. Like, I feel like if you want, like, I'm in the mindless mindset right now. Like, if you want something that you don't have to think too much about. Yeah. And if you do think too much about it, it's going to be horrible because nothing nothing makes sense.
3: That is what Netflix kind of specializes in. Yeah. I want to turn off my brain, but it's not, like, so bad that I can't watch it. It's just... The phrase kind of that boring. rolls through
0: my head when I see that now is it burns good. <laughs> it Just burns. that like flaming hot content. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs>
4: um
1: but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um well, so other than that horrible movie y'all saw in
0: theaters together, what else? <laughs> I thought I it was fine. <laughs> they thought
3: it was fine. I, I really didn't like it. What a movie that I did really like. Uh apparently I've been seeing some stuff around that it's like the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Criterion
0: just uploaded a
3: whole. Who made hip hop?
0: Uh, hip hop collection.
3: That made it 50 years old.
0: Who made it? I don't know, like Grandmaster Flash? Yeah. yeah. Is so that going like the starting point like that, that hits
1: the 50 years? Or Africa so.
3: Bambaataa? I don't know. Like yeah, who, maybe even before. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know where they picked the specific year that. Okay. Well, yeah. And Criterion has been releasing these like hip hop films to celebrate the 50 years. And one that we watched recently from 2002 called Paid in Full. I had never heard of this movie. It's got Mikai Pfeiffer, uh, Wood Harris, who plays this guy Lucky, who he's working in a dry cleaner, but all of his friends are like selling cocaine, making ridiculous amounts of money, and he gets tempted with the fast cash aspect of it. And so he decides to get into that game and slowly, like rises up through the ranks to where he's like the kingpin of Harlem, and then there's all this, you know, backstabbing going on. He's paranoid about the police, uh, so it's like a very gritty, like it was made in the 2000s, but it feels like a film from the 90s. But it's set in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's got really good performances of like really badass score to like some really good hip hop from that time period. And it's just like gritty and thrilling. Uh, it does this great thing. And the very end where it kind of breaks the fourth wall and becomes like a commentary on these sort of films and how they glamorize the game of, you know. And it was like produced by Jay Z. It's got um Cameron he's a pretty oh, talented he's a pretty talented rapper and he plays yes. this like kind of loose cannon guy <laughs> totally and he is nice. wild in this movie yeah. he is like what? unhinged and he yeah he has this like effortless movie star quality about him where he's just like magnetic when he's on screen and like his character is so obnoxious. He's kind of that dude in your crew that won't shut the hell up and is like getting everyone else in trouble. Like, dude, put the gun away. Stop like flashing the drugs. The hothead. The hothead. Um, So a lot of it is kind of worn out tropes a little bit. Like it's very much like you've seen Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society. It's in that same vein for sure and probably not quite as great as those films. Like it doesn't have the stylistic charm of menace to society mm-hmm. and it feels a little like made for tv at time with some of its like editing choices but i thought it was really good and it's like an i'd never heard of it and i like this genre a lot and it was kind of like a gem for me so i don't know if you're into those other kind of films you know like above the rim or dead presidents any sort of urban uh, drama this is a really good one that you should check out
2: yeah wild and i I liked the protagonist's character too because he really want he was very hesitant to get into the game and then his like he keeps kind of saying once once he becomes this kingpin he's like I'm going to use this to take care of the community if everybody just kind of plays it cool and listens to what I say we, we all got to eat yeah and we're all you know this can be good for everybody and, like, it's that's just not how it works. Like, people are always going to want to take power or flaunt the power that they have. So, you know, he suffers a lot of loss because of that.
3: He's great. And I think it also is really good at showing the, like, I don't know if anyone here is, like, dealt drugs. But even if you're dealing small amounts of drugs, like, that paranoia and, like, the temptation of, like, easy money. Mm -hmm. But also like dealing with like shady people and like constantly having to look over your shoulder, especially in the second half of this film, it really captures that well. And he's like doing this shit on like the highest level.
2: I, I honestly feel like he was not inappropriately paranoid. I felt like he was aware at all times of what other people, how what other people did was going to fuck him over and he was like please like please stop doing that if like you like bringing attention right exactly this is cool like yeah i don't think i've really
1: seen movies where like drug dealing happens and they like sort of like embody the paranoia of like being a drug dealer Mm -hmm. that well
3: the actual game of it too like okay there's like here's how much i get a kilo of coke for here's how much it goes for on the street and then you got your low-level dealers that you give the product to that have to report back to you, and you get your cut. It's very, like, real. Yeah. The fact that it's produced by Jay-Z, who was a well-known drug dealer in the 80s, like, it feels very authentic, and this is actually, like, the come-up Yeah, if you're into, you know, feeling,
2: mm. I, f- I feel like it really captures the politics well, too, of, yeah. like, these were the people, like you went to jail so I could kind of take your place. So you're going to be mad when you get out. But like, if you just, you know, like I can set you up with this and, you know, trying to make that a sustainable, like economic model that everybody can benefit from and how it, you know, isn't possible.
3: Yeah. And one last thing about this movie is like, if you think menace society is bleak, um, Towards the end of this film, some really messed up shit happened. Like, that kind of makes those other films seem weak in comparison. Like, it shocked me what happens in the final act of this film. Like, oh, my God, that is so, so bad. And that one scene in particular is really thrilling and messed up. So, yeah, I don't know. I I really like this movie a lot. Yeah. So, check it out while it's still on Criterion.
2: And I love Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah, Makai
3: Pfeiffer's really good.
0: <laughs> I love how much schlock like that is on criteria now. I don't want to call that schlock, but like genre filmmaking. Right.
2: Yeah. Like we
0: just talked about those Jackie Chan movies, and they're putting out like a Jackie Chan box set now. that's
1: mm-hmm. kind of cool. It's not like all the hoity-toity, it's validating stuff. Yeah. yeah. They're adding
0: Unfriended this month because they're doing oh. a high school. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, I've been watching uh, nothing but Ninja Turtles movies since the last time we <laughs> talked, so maybe I shouldn't even like chime in. I guess there is some overlap there because uh, I'm. Trying to become an expert on Ninja Turtles movies, I was saying that Mutant Mayhem was the best one since the first one, and then I realized I haven't seen all the animated ones that have come out in the Did past. Did you watch years. Secret
3: of the Ooze yet? Yes, that my that's where favorite he's going that's, was that. that was my favorite as a kid. Yeah. I don't know if it holds up.
0: I was going to mention that one next because it does have a hip hop concert in the film. Yeah, Vanilla of it. Ice. Vanilla yeah, Ice. I remember. It is it's not rap. a good movie. It's I enjoyed not, okay. it as a kid, but like, there are moments where it's like, I know what I liked about this, like. They had Rocksteady and Bebop, like the Warthog and Rhino characters, like so yeah. replaced with a snapping turtle and a wolf, which kind of weird substitutes for that. But uh, they call Shredder Mama because they're like grown in a lab real quick, uh, and that felt like a funny gag as a kid. And it made me laugh this time. And the Vanilla Ice concert where they're promoting him as if he's like a Pizza Hut style product is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. But... I'm watching it now, and like all the stuff you would think the first Ninja Turtles movie would be, or just obnoxious catchphrase recitations. Oh, like, all of the second it's one is. Yeah. All uh, of it. Like wall to wall, every yeah. line is like cowabunga this, turtlicious that. Like <laughs> just like bullshit 90sification.
1: But that's what I think made them iconic and fun. So I get it. But it's, I get where he's saying where it's like too much, but I too can much. see how like as kids. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, this is awesome.
0: Well, we we liked the first one, I think, when we rewatched it yeah. recently. Like, yeah. it, it has a surprising, like, grit and gravitas to it, yeah. even though that stuff is still present, where yeah. they're skateboarding and ordering Domino's deliveries to the sewer. The second one just goes so hard into the Maximundo catchphrase machine yeah. quality of it that, like, it, it kind of overdoes it.
3: Did you get into the third one?
0: Yes. And that scales it back. It's like, okay, maybe we've gone too far. (laughs) Let's do a more toned down version of the Turtles and completely ruin the momentum of the franchise. Like, they go to feudal Japan uh, in this, like, magical time travel device. And even as a kid, I knew that was the boring one. And that that holds up now, too. It's like, God, what am I doing? There isn't a single pizza delivery in that entire movie. Is it even a Ninja (laughs) Turtles film? You know, like. No, good. I also heard Mark Kermode uh, talking about the franchise recently because mm-hmm. the new ones in theaters. And he was like, yes, the first one was the most successful independent film of all time when it was released, which wow. is crazy. I don't know how we missed that fact when we were just talking Damn about it. it. But uh, yeah, Kermode gets paid to do this. So he gets, to, he gets the research in. That's true. But I appreciated the one we just talked about more after watching its two sequels, whereas like, the third one was like too serious. And the second one was too extreme 90s trademark. like yeah. Skateboarding, high-fiving, pizza-chomping bullshit. But it's funny. There's as a, a k- balance.
3: As a kid, I remember liking the second one more because... It was pandering
0: to you. Right, yeah, and I thought that, that the first
3: one was boring and, like, too serious. Oh, okay. And now watching him again, it seems like that would be flipped.
0: There's something kind of magical about those Jim Henson costumes in the first one. Yeah. Do you know that scene in, like, Muppets Take Manhattan, where you see Kermit ride a bicycle for the first time, you're like, wow, he's real. (laughs) Like That's how watching that first Ninja Turtles (laughs) movie feels. And then the second two in that franchise have the same costumes, but the magic's kind of worn off. And you're like, God, this is what I feared this franchise would be. So I have plenty more. They're mostly animated. I'm a fan of the Michael Bay ones, but my fandom of it is entirely resting on the fact that they're... Time capsules of 2010s filmmaking, like the worst way, like all the worst <laughs> aspects of 2010s mm. pop culture are like mm-hmm. so well encapsulated in those Michael Bay movies. Wow! The same way that the 90s is encapsulated in the first Ninja Turtles film. So I don't know. I got plenty more of these to talk about. Probably the <laughs> la- next time we'll talk, I'll tell you about whatever Ninja Turtles movie I just saw. Incredible! <laughs> right. But we have more serious topics at hand today. Uh, we're going to talk about narcissism and lying and yeah, frogs. addiction to attention i guess Mm -hmm. accolades and validation frauds Frauds. how
2: do you know you exist if other people don't tell you
0: right (laughs) this is an episode i think in what i envisioned the show being when we were talking about instead of like trying to tackle an entire topic i I was thinking like oh we'll just pick a new movie that's out and then we'll talk about a few movies that relate to it and uh, I, i tend to overthink these topics now where it's like i'm trying to link it to something current happening in pop culture uh this is not that this is i wanted to watch a new movie that just came out Mm -hmm. and we picked other movies on the same subject but there is a lot of interesting overlap i think so too yeah Yeah. it it came together the system's working it's good to know (laughs) almost 200 episodes on the show the format is functional
2: we're part of the system (laughs) and it's working
0: and all that's coming up to you right Right now. now
2: She doesn't really know herself, I think. She doesn't really know what's true and what's not true. A character that really lives in kind of a fantasy world
0: and is so used to being manipulative towards herself, but also towards everyone else. She plays a character, or she plays several characters in her own life. I've heard of Norwegian black metal, but Norwegian black comedy, this is ridiculous.
4: Oh, my God. (laughs) That was great. Deeply painful. I'm
0: auditioning for Gene Shalit's job (laughs) 20 years after the fact. Okay, so there is a new Norwegian black comedy out right now. It's called Sick of Myself. It just premiered on Showtime this past week, and I've been wanting to see it for a while. It premiered at Cannes last year, and then it was on John Waters' top 10 list of 2022. Now it's finally out in America. Uh, It is about narcissists in the art world. There are plenty of satires you could cite that are about artists who are full of themselves and total phonies. Um we recently talked about what's Ruben Oslin's movie The Square The Square. Yeah, it really Square reminded,
2: reminded
4: me. Yeah. Uh
0: Britney's a big fan of Velvet Buzzsaw, yeah. which is a similar I like that topic. Too. Good stuff. What's really funny about Sick of Myself is that the two artists who at the center of it aren't artists at all. Like they're just complete, complete fakes fraud. and have nothing <laughs> going on in their lives. Uh, one is a barista who thinks of herself as an artist, but produces no art whatsoever at right. <laughs> the entirety of the movie.
3: No, she fantasizes about it.
0: Yeah. What if I was famous for being an artist, but never actually like creates anything? And her boyfriend's kind of the same, even though he's successful in the art world. All he does is steal <laughs> high-end uh, Scandinavian furniture from businesses and then stacks them in these very like unimaginative structures yeah. um, and sells them as gallery pieces. He enlists his girlfriend's help in stealing the stuff and gives her none of the glory, and he gets a uh, very high-end coverage in the media for his found <laughs> material sculptures. And it's just literally like furniture stacked vertically instead of horizontally. So yeah, there's like there is that like art world satire in the middle of sick of myself, but really. The main topic of today's episode and of this movie is about someone who is a total fraud. It's about a lie about yourself that spirals out of control where you're just presenting a version of yourself that's phony to the rest of the world for attention, uh, specifically in the media and all of these films. Um, the main character of this does start as a barista who's jealous of her boyfriend's sudden notoriety as a sculpture provocateur. <laughs> uh, and her way of getting back at him... Starts with her trying to authentically get injured in the public. Like she tries to get dogs to bite her on the throat.
3: Oh, I love that scene. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was like, are you a psychopath? Like, get away. From- Stop taunting my that dog. That man was, a was a my baby. hero. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then later while her boyfriend's giving the speech, uh, cause he just got into a really prestigious gallery. She fakes having a nut allergy in the middle of her <laughs> dinner to, you know, steal the spotlight from him while he's actively talking to a room full of investors and then this isn't enough. She needs like a more authentic tactile phoniness uh, that she could sell. So she starts buying black market lytixol, I think is the name of the drug uh, that she reads about on the internet because it, it was linked to this like obscure skin disease and the people who were taking it. So she buys it through her drug dealer, takes large quantities of it and just completely disfigures herself with medication to get attention. And she does get the same kind of media coverage as her boyfriend, but it's still not enough. Like, she'll get an article on the main page of a website, but there happened to be a mass shooting that day. So she's kind of a few <laughs> articles down the list, and that drives her crazy. So she'll take more of it, more of it, more of it. Uh, and it results in a modeling contract where she's being hired to wear high end streetwear on these magazine covers, but she's also losing physical function of her body because. This medicine is literally, like, rotting the flesh off of her face. She starts having, like, organ failure where she's, like, actually coughing up blood Mm -hmm. and losing hair. So it's not just that she's a fraud in that, you know, she didn't come by this disease that no one can diagnose naturally and she, like, medically induced it in herself on purpose. She's also actually harming herself for attention as the movie goes along.
2: Yeah, that was the distinction for me between this film and the other ones, um, where people are either either pretending to be somebody else or feigning something on behalf of someone else. But in this, like, she is physically creating the fraudulence in her like she she is legitimately going through what she says she's going through, but she's inducing it herself, which is like, a hundred times more psychotic than just lying about something.
3: Yeah, the the lies in the other films kind of hurt the people around them, sort of, and this is just hurting herself. She's like
2: addicted
1: to being a fraud. and (laughs) (laughs) There's this thing with her where it's like she's so committed to it. Yeah. I'm like, well, I guess you kind of deserve it the you know the attention that you're getting actively
0: being punished right and rewarded it's like
1: you're putting your (laughs) you're putting yourself through hell to get the prize and you got the prize you know good for you
2: (laughs) yeah but it's like in the end once it's revealed what she's doing it's like in these other films they didn't have to go through what they say they went through. Right. But she has, like, all of the physical consequences, and also she loses all of the, like, sympathy. I mean, she she ends up, like, maintaining some attention, but basically her friends are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <Right? Yeah. laughs> like,
1: the behavior is fraudulent. Right. But she's not really a fraud because she's right. literally living it. It's just how it's induced. Yeah.
0: It's weird. I do like that we're in her head and we mm-hmm. see what she thinks will come of this. Because if you just watch this yes. from a distance, like, why are you poisoning yourself? What could you possibly gain from this? Everything. But we watch her play it out where she's like, okay, if I come clean to my journalist friend who broke this story, it's an even better story, really, that okay. I'm not actually sick and <laughs> that I did this for attention. Like, That's actually a bigger scoop so we see like the fantasy of her getting famous for writing her own memoir for being a liar. Um, mm-hmm. and like how that's supposed to be this like sort of metaphor for millennial self obsession. Uh, yeah. but what we end up seeing is both the fantasy and how it would play out in real life where her friend is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you've been so awful about this the whole time. I've right. given you some grace <laughs> and distance to let you like work this out. But like, why have we suffered for nothing?
3: Well, and also the, uh, her boyfriend character, who's very funny, just doesn't really care Does not about pay her attention <laughs> to her at all. But I love kind of like what you're saying. They have a scene where they go out to lunch with another couple. And the couple's like, oh, yeah, honey, don't you got to like go to go to bed? It's like the middle of the day. <laughs> right. They yeah. obviously are just like, you guys are awful. Yeah. We're going to leave you to it. Like everyone around them is like, man, y'all really suck. Right, <laughs> <laughs> This is really bad.
2: I have to say, I thought this movie was hilarious. I laughed I, a lot. Yeah, yeah it's very but funny. I think it was my favorite out of the films that we watched. And they just played the awful behavior of her and her boyfriend is up to the 10th degree like it is so extreme and so funny and there are other films that we watch that don't turn it up quite high enough for me but it was just like absolutely like it's, it's such a disgusting pleasure to watch them just tear each other down and tear down everybody around them and I also like despite how horrible she is. Like, I did... The worst parts of myself related to all of her <laughs> fantasies of like like she's having sex with her boyfriend and they're talking about like her funeral and how there's a, there would be a line out the door and like she's getting her off. Her dad on can't that. get on the guest right. list. Right. There's a bouncer at her yeah. funeral, <laughs> right? And then when she um goes, she's in the hospital and she has she's in this um MRI and she's going in and then she has this fantasy of what would happen if they <laughs> if she went through with the MRI and they're just like oh you're a terrible person you have a horrible personality the police um, are here yeah, to execute <laughs> you
4: on the spot. Right.
2: yeah it's like those fantasies felt so pitch perfect for like the worst impulses and i think the thing that i loved about these films was the capacity to find like a shred of empathy with this desire to be seen and validated by other people
0: i mean the one thing i haven't mentioned yet is that all the movies we picked are comedies yeah. And are kind of playing with sort of a mainstream like studio comedy feel. Mm-hmm. And I think the further we get backwards in time, the more empathy and the more mainstream the sensibilities get. Um this one it's not surprising like John Waters loved this movie because it is pushing it to its most extreme. Yeah. But like I don't know that I do feel any empathy for her, but it's like you recognize the worst
3: impulses in yourself.
1: Yes, exactly. Like I didn't empathize, but like I understood why she was doing what she was doing and why she kept doing it. Yeah, it was like
3: getting inside the head of a total, absolute narcissist. (laughs) Like, I think everyone has some narcissistic qualities, but I didn't empathize. I wasn't like, I'm just like, wow, yeah, you're really really bad that's a really yeah. bad level of narcissism
2: yeah i think empathize is the wrong word but i like i just recognized like i have seen the behavior that you're exhibiting in myself and like like much smaller yeah. qu- like being allowed to see the worst things about yourself magnified And, like, allowing yourself to laugh at it, I thought was really cathartic.
0: I think there's, like, two-fold commentary there, where, like, on one end, I get that on this, like, societal level of, like, modern life, where we are all addicted to the internet. And, like, okay, like, a week ago, I was out at Lyoza's, and I ate fried mushrooms fresh out of the fryer, Mm -hmm. and uh, it burst molten mushroom liquid (laughs) on my lip, and I had this huge, like, burn. Oh, uh,
3: that's... I was going to ask you what that was. <laughs> it's a cold sore I'm covering right now. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> but I posted a picture of my boil <laughs> online. Oh my God. <laughs> like, look at this stupid thing I did yeah. to myself. Because I could wait for my food to cool for, like, two minutes. Like did you adult. get a
1: modeling contract out of it? I should have. I know. And it was for
0: that one week. <laughs> but I did get a lot of, like, actual sympathy from people. And I was posting, like, kind of a self-own, like, uh, look how dumb I am, kind of. <laughs> Uh, And, you know, it honestly was, like, sweet that people were like, oh, that sucks. That looks like it's painful. Yeah. It's like, okay, not the reaction I expected. But I get that impulse.
1: Right. And you can see how, like, people get addicted to doing stuff like that.
0: I'm going to go again and get more of those fried mushrooms. (laughs) Just burn your damn face. (laughs) (laughs) But the other... End of that. I think this movie actually like there. There are a ton of social media and media attention satires about like people who are addicted to the spotlight. Yeah, John Waters has made tons of those himself. Uh, to die for with Nicole Kidman is one we talked about recently. But I think the more unique thing that this movie tackles, and I think is a little thornier and like harder to define, is the tug of war. For attention and dominance in the romance between the two artists of the center, mm, yeah, where, like they need to be one upping each other all the time. And there's something about monogamous long-term relationships where, like, it becomes comfortable and you're familiar with each other, and it's no longer exciting, like what the other person's doing all the time. Where, like, you're competing for attention both from each other and from other people looking yeah. in on the relationship. And there's something really ugly and thorny about that in this movie that I found both relatable and darkly hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like It's like an anti-rom-com in a way.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, because whenever they're out with friends, it's like they're just constantly putting each other down. Like he gets in a gallery and she's like, well, it's not the real gallery. Right, it's a right. smaller... It's, and it's good. It's in a smaller room, so if the turnout's not big. But then also, like whenever she injures herself or whenever she's like hospitalized or she, like there's a really bad reaction she she asks him like you know are you proud of me like do you do you lo-? like she really really wants his love and admiration um yeah and it just becomes this like really like kind of toxic mess of yeah of like desire And jealousy.
3: Yeah. And also it did a good job of representing that like you want to pretend like you're always happy for other people when they are successful. But there's always a part of you that's like jealous and you kind of like wish that you were them. And especially in the relationship in this film where you have two artists where one is obviously more successful than the other. And she's just trying to like kind of undermine his success and take the spotlight away from him. I Good mean, stuff. She,
2: she is kind of the most extreme performance artist. Yeah, she's I've committed to the bit. Yeah. yeah. TikTok account. Of course, it would. I'm trying to keep up. We're making a TikTok right now. <laughs> no, are yeah. Wait, are you kidding yeah. me? The cool guy over there in the corner. He like he yeah, he looks like he's so cool, like he's so trendy. I just want you guys to okay? see him. <laughs> so, this <is> <laughs> this TikTok, hi to so this is the thing. While he makes his TikTok, say hi to America. What's his name? race race so say hi to America. What's so, TikTok, hi to America. What's so, but you have like all these creative videos. What's the thought? Because this is where we are these
0: days. While we were making the movie, we, you know, the movie. It definitely it's a satire, and it talks a lot about about the the desire to be seen and 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 the sort of need to like compare you know she's always comparing herself to always I have three have. kids it's I'm so worried mm-hmm. about it and yeah it's it's hard not to and so we thought it was meta to
4: do put it, that. make a TikTok yeah. and
2: yeah. it um yeah and it's working on it now. so I picked uh not okay which was released last year um I wanted to see it last year my impression of it was that it got kind of mixed reviews, but I was very curious about it. So I when this topic came up, I just kind of slotted it in. Um, this is about a woman named Danny Sanders who's played by Zoe Deutsch. And she's a photo editor in New York for kind of like uh, like buzzfeedish uh, clickbait news organization called depravity which i thought was very funny and she wants to be a writer but she's just like really self-obsessed and kind of like isn't really making it as a writer she's a photo editor so she ends up telling this lie that she's going to this writer's retreat and instead of going she makes up this writer's retreat it's in paris and instead she stays home and photoshops herself into these photos of Paris to pretend that she's there. And she's posting on Instagram. And uh, there happens to be a terrorist attack in Paris uh, that weekend. And instead of telling her family that she wasn't actually in Paris, she kind of doubles down on the lie because there is this like hip kind of Pete Davidson like weed vice correspondent that works at depravity who's like concerned for her, so she she just continues the lie, and starts to get some attention online. Eventually, she goes to this uh, support group for people that I, I think it's a support group for people that have undergone like mass violence. Mm-hmm. And she meets this young girl named Rowan Aldrin, who is a, uh, she is a young activist who survived a school shooting. Um, so she kind of wants to glom a little bit onto Rowan's fame and and kind of latch on to her. So they start spending time together, and then she writes this think piece inspired by a conversation that she had with Rowan called I am not okay and then that like completely blows up and then she becomes this symbol for like anti-terrorism and like and trauma and her story kind of like breaks down at the very end of this film but it starts out like you know where she, where it's going because it starts out with her like implosion like she becomes this virally hated person online so I thought this film was okay. I think it it wasn't my favorite. I loved the beginning of it. I felt like it was really like it was in this high tenor of extremity similar to Sick of Myself. Like I I thought it was like depravity was just kind of a fun caricature of like the current media landscape. And then I thought once it, once it tried to get into like earnest messaging about trauma and violence and like activism, it, I don't know, I just felt like those two threads didn't really work that well together for me. Um, I wanted it to stay at like the black comedy crass level. I don't know. I, I, I really had mixed feelings about it. But I thought this was one of the most extreme, like, frauds in this crew of films that we watched. So I saw this last year
3: Mm.
1: and like same feelings. It reminded me of do y'all remember that like 9-11 lady?
3: Yeah. I was gonna bring that up. I watched that documentary about this remind you
1: of that situation.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree with the like I didn't know it was gonna have that kind of like terrorist plot in there. And when that happened I was so on board. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, this is gonna be a fun ride. And then it just gets like really sentimental in a false way. I
0: don't think it's false. I had the exact opposite experience with this movie. Really, everybody else apparently. Oh, I thought the first ten minutes were like zoomer humor in a way that like I was not connecting with. I like that that movie. Do Revenge last year.
1: Oh yeah, I liked that movie. I thought
0: that was so like painfully unfunny. See, I liked it. In the first like (laughs) fifteen minutes or so of this, I was like, I'm too old for this. Like it was like pitched at like. A sensibility that, like, I felt like I was distinctly, like, missed the boat on.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just, like, the Pete Davidson guy blowing the vape smoke and the, like, I don't know. I, I liked all that kind of broad generational humor stuff. See,
0: yeah. I, I- uh, No. And then I wanted more.
3: <laughs> I wanted, like, just to it stay at that level. I-, I just, the whole relationship between the two of them felt really false to me and between
0: her and the Pete Davidson guy or her No, her and um Rowan. 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 See, yeah. that's where I disagree. I think yeah. it changed her. I I was not laughing at like the sort of like broad generational humor of the first like 10 15 minutes and then when Rowan comes in, I think that actor her name's Mia She's Isaac. very good. Mm-hmm. She is like yeah. giving an Oscar level like sincere performance in this movie where she's like cuts through all of like the general bullshit like a knife. And I don't think it's like unintentional. I think like everything in this movie is a broad caricature and she's kind of this like mouthpiece for like what the movie's trying to say, which mm-hmm. is a lot okay. to put on a young actor, but she handles it very well, especially by the time she gives that final mic drop speech in the last like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's like really sharp commentary about people who put themselves at the center of someone else's story just for the attention.
1: Yeah. The end. I love the ending because it ending was yeah. very good. I yeah. was didn't bring that up. End with like, oh, I forgive you, blah blah right. blah. It's right. Sort of like it felt genuine because she's sort of like, I'm a piece of shit. I need to fucking leave this yeah. girl alone. And, and I need seen, to go away.
3: There's been so many like celebrity apologies that are obviously written by like a PR <laughs> right. person, right? And and she had one prepared. She right. had yeah. one prepared, and then she just like, I respect much more the people that are like, I totally fucked up. I'm gonna just go away for a while. I'm not gonna like take the spotlight. Like the ending did redeem it in some way for me.
2: And I liked the overall story of like I I felt like especially the last third, it's like she uh Danny Sanders is the main character of the film for Mm -hmm. like most of the film. And then she realizes that she shouldn't be like she doesn't get the happy ending that she wanted. And Rowan is the main character of the story. But I think like there, there's a spot in the middle that like, like there's a scene where they're trying to show Rowan's trauma in terms of like school shootings. And they have her, sitting in a classroom and like there's there's some loud noise and she like she starts and I thought that that actress was fantastic. And I loved all of her speeches. I thought her performance was great. But there was something that felt like, like what she's talking about is so serious that when it's put up against the saccharine or like kind of artificial character of the rest of the movie it makes that feel artificial like too. right it. exactly like yeah the but i with them
3: together that's why it didn't work it's I, like two different things going but on but I, I
2: actually did like parts of their relationship like i liked that softball scene like the scenes where they're walking together did feel authentic but yeah i think that it's like either i want it to be a complete satire or Uh I really need to feel the depth because otherwise it does feel trivialized.
0: There's a distinct sensibility in filmmaking for younger people. Like I'm saying younger, younger than me Mm -hmm. uh, where you could tell someone grew up watching the CW and Disney channel original movies that like they're doing these like darker films like do revenge is one that comes to mind. Where it's like there is this sort of like saccharine sweet, like broad filmmaking Mm -hmm. style. It's very polished. And like they're doing this like subversive topic without really acknowledging how like there is a subversive technique that goes with that as well. They're not making I Blame Society or something, which is like this sort of like DIY, like throwing punches kind of thing. Right. And I think this movie does that. Like it has this like Disney Channel original sensibility to it. I guess I just appreciated the counterbalance of that one character like cutting yeah. through all of that and like not letting the main character off the hook. Like yes. any other movie would want you to feel empathy for her by the final scene. And I don't think you ever get there. Like, yeah. To the I point where never the... like her. And you're not supposed to. Yeah. And to the point where the movie starts with a joke about how it's going to feature an right. unlikable female protagonist, which really turned me off. Like, that might have been <laughs> why the, re- the reason why my arms are crossed for the first 15 minutes, <laughs> is it starts with a content warning of, like, yeah. like flashing lights, uh, right. themes of trauma, and an unlikable female protagonist – it's like, get the fuck yeah. out of here. Like, Brandon,
2: You, rec- I wrote that down and you recited it exactly. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Well, I guess it really stuck on me because I was angry for like yeah. 10 minutes about it. Yeah. And then the movie gradually won me back over.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think the the oil and water feeling that I got didn't really have anything to do with that actress's performance. It, it was like it felt like there were two different movies happening. And I yeah. think they could have been woven together together woven together in a way that felt kind of um, like it was honoring everything but I did I did really appreciate the way that it ended I thought that was the best ending that it could have had I
0: think the ending is what convinces me that that effect was intentional Mm -hmm. yeah and that it was done with purpose and I think a lot of these movies have a mainstream sensibility where it like Feels on a scene-to-scene level like something that you would see in theaters, starring Adam Sandler or Kevin James or whoever. Like it, it feels like a mainstream comedy in a lot of ways, and then they play against that with some subver- subversive tactic. And usually, it's like just bleak material. Mm-hmm. And I guess this one does that a little bit, but like I think I think the earnestness is maybe more unique to it. Yeah or it's like it does it does have bleak material you wouldn't expect in that kind of filmmaking but it also has this one character that like actually says politically sharp things in the middle of like this like saccharine product.
1: Yeah. I liked the main character, like really. <laughs> <laughs> I found her to be like entertaining for like who she was supposed to be if that yeah. makes any sense I, at all. Yeah, I I like, know what you're she was saying. a shit person, but yeah. I found her to like be very not likable. But I don't know. I enjoyed watching her. Yeah it, was I, a,
3: yeah. it was an entertaining performance of a really unlikable person. I just found her like entirely unremarkable, which I think is kind of That's part that, of the point. The purpose <laughs> yeah.
0: And like there's something about certain character details that feel very like well observed. Like the fact that she's always late with a half drunk cup of oh, iced yeah. coffee with like an inch of like ice water floating on top of the coffee because yeah. it's like purchased hours ago. I,
3: I also, I did like the Black Swan poster in her room. I don't (laughs) know, that was just a nice touch. Like, of course she would love Black Swan.
0: I also like that touch of her um, love interest reading her article at the urinal on his phone, like kind of halfway paying attention to it. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty well-observed touch. Yeah. I don't think I care about her at all, but I, I do think that she's sad and like has something to say about how isolated we all feel. In a culture where, like, if you're not the 10 influencers who get paid millions of dollars to plug whatever product, then you're yeah. basically a nobody.
1: Yeah. I liked the the whole snowball effect of this. Like, I think we see it in some of the other movies, but this one I thought was, like, more than the others where it kind of starts off where she's like, all right, I'm just going to do this little thing. Yeah. Where I pretend to go to a retreat. And then it just gets bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and more shit's at stake. And then, like, it happens so fast that she sort of at first, she's like, I just have to, like, go with the flow. So, like, everybody believes that little lie that I told. And then it just keeps getting worse. And she sort of becomes a little bit, like, addicted to, like, being the it girl for this movement. Right. And then it, like, becomes overwhelming. And she, you know, and then it blows up. So just, like, watching that, like, train wreck.
2: Yeah, I it was very cool. <laughs> it was sad that she didn't know how to build community, and I think that that's a really common problem today too. Like in the beginning, she's asking her queer coworkers if she can like come to queer bowling with them, <laughs> yeah. and and she's talking about like how she wishes she was a minority, and it's like I mean, ultimately, what she wants is to be a part of something, yeah, because you know she she becomes kind of famous for experiencing this terrorist attack. But when she goes and plays like softball with this group of people from the support group, that's like a very small community of just kind people that are excited to spend time together. Mm -hmm. And that, that was like the happiest that she ever seemed to be. And like, I feel like, you know, you think that you get community by becoming famous or by becoming popular online and like a lot of the small communities that we used to have just in a city are kind of gone like you need a an interest group or something to find those yeah. people
0: i want to say like any of the protagonists of in the movies we're talking about today could be like fixed with like three or four good friends yeah they're all very <laughs> isolated very, and lonely very, yeah. people.
1: Uh, right about that yeah. yeah
0: and i was thinking about that too like in my personal life like I recently quit therapy (laughs) Mm because it was, like, a good breaking point. And one of the thoughts that my therapist left me with was, like, "Well, what are you doing with this, like, publishing project if you're not really promoting it and you don't really care about feedback from, like, other people? Like... (laughs) Why aren't you just watching movies with your friends and discussing it? Why is there like a public posting mm-hmm. part of that? And I had no answer for it. Yeah. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of it is just posting is addictive and it's just something that you're like made to feel like you should do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good resource. I like going back to read and listen to things we've posted it's, in the past. It's almost
1: like a public diary of like. Exactly. Right. Where you can. Everything's archived and I, <laughs> you can revisit it.
3: And yeah. to be perfectly honest like yeah you know, we were talking about narcissism in some of these films and like if i'm being honest for me personally it's it's so much different to say like i do a podcast i'm on a podcast with my friends and like me and my friends watch movies like one is like a tangible right. thing that you can go and like listen to a product and the other is just like, well, okay, you're just hanging out with friends.
2: Wait, I mean, and that's kind of sad too. I mean, I I love doing the podcast, but it is sad that you to feel like you have to justify your time with a product that other people can enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way, but it's like functionally, you know, we are doing the same thing that we would do if we watched movies together, except in a more structured format.
3: And I do like having the artifact, like the recording, we can go back and listen to, like, yeah, a conversation that doesn't have to be public though. I could ago. just
0: give y'all, you know, access right. to that somewhere. Yeah, There's an
1: artistry could, in what you do with it though, sure. By like <laughs> editing it, no, yeah, it's but then true. I couldn't tell
3: people that I, you know, when I tell people, oh, I do a movie podcast and then. That's like part of my personality for them. Right. About me. Like, oh, yeah, James, <laughs> he's the movie guy. He's on a podcast. Like, even though, you know, no one really listens. I, but- get,
0: I guess what I'm saying is like my favorite aspect of doing this with y'all is yeah. like basically what I would get out of like us having a book club or a movie right. club in that way. Right. Like, that's how I always kind of feel about yeah. it. And that's how this movie is. It's like if she just like joined a softball league, right. she could do that without having to fake her entire yeah. identity around this She trauma. could join Swamp yeah. And I, I do think it's kind of interesting, too, before we, like, move on to the next one, that, like, she kind of self-induces PTSD. Right. She kind of, like, starts yeah. seeing this fictional uh, terrorist that she, like, made up in her mind as yeah. she goes out. And it's, like, the fear of getting caught in the lie
1: right. starts yeah. to haunt
0: her.
3: Which...
1: She's, it's like she starts creating her own trauma right. where it's yeah. almost
0: like she needs that group,
3: yeah. too, to get out of it. I know, Brittany, we had talked about that 9-11 documentary earlier, yeah. like, this woman that... Claimed to be there, and she wasn't there at all. (laughs) But she had like started all these support groups for nine eleven survivors, and like you see her talking to people about the trauma of being there, and it feels real. It's like yeah, that's why she was able to con so many people because I think after a while you have to believe the lie. Yeah, and And, like you internalize it.
1: That it was like looking at it, I'm like, what that woman did was so sick. And then watching this movie and like seeing like sort of why this girl's doing it, like no empathy from me. But I'm like, I get it. Like sort of are built like building your own family and friend group if you don't have that. Yeah, based on a lie, but you get it, right?
3: Yeah, it it also reminded me of that guy from the league that got canceled Mm -hmm. a while back. That. Said he was at 9 11 and he wasn't. Um, yeah. but the Ra- way Rachel he, Dolezal also came to mind, yeah. Right. But the way he describes oh, yeah. like being in comedy clubs, and they're like, because he used to work down there, so other comedians be like, Oh, yeah, like, were you down there? And what starts is like a white lie. like, Yeah, I was there, man, shit was crazy. And then they tell other comedians, and it then spirals. they're like, Yeah, and they're like, Hey, dude, I heard you were at 9 11, like, how what, like, it was crazy, right? And then it just went on for years. And like, again, I don't feel necessarily empathy, but I I get it. But
1: I just, I think the day and age we're living in where how like everything is so public. Mm -hmm. Like if what happened to the girl in this movie would have happened like before the internet age, like she probably would have gotten away with it Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal but you know it's like when you're in high school or you're in junior high and it's like my boyfriend goes to the other school right right you know what i mean (laughs) now if you do that what's his facebook page? (laughs) you know like to handle (laughs) right you can't like escape it yeah so i don't know i was thinking of that the whole time like shit she could have been like yeah i went to retreat all this shit happened man that's that's wild (laughs) okay (laughs)
2: <laughs> so, this is only kind of tangentially related, but so this film and another film that we're talking about with the like Rachel Dolezal and also with Dear Evan Hansen like stories about fraud where you become a public figure for something and you create like you write a letter or you write an article that is not speaking to a real experience you had but resonates with other right. people. Yeah. And like, you know, people reaching out and saying, oh, my God, you like you gave me the courage to do this. Like you had this impact on me. And then like finding out that person is a fraud is such a like it's a twisted betrayal because you feel lied to. But the thing that they created is real and had a real impact on you. Like, I think that there's something really interesting i mean they're telling a story basically and it's Mm -hmm. like it's hard to know what to do with that like are the feelings that i had or the impulses that this put in me still legitimate if you're a fraud
0: i think um a thousand pieces is probably one of the more famous examples of that where this guy wrote this memoir about his alcoholism Mm -hmm. and he got boosted by the oprah book club speaking of book clubs i can still see the cover with the sprinkles yeah and I would say that's probably a very direct influence on the next movie we're talking about mm-hmm. and why it was written in the first place.
3: Yeah, because this would have been in the, the direct mid-2000s. After yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the film I picked was World's Greatest Dad from 2009, uh, directed by Bobcat Goldwaite, who is, I guess, an okay comedian. I never really cared for his stand-up comedy, but I actually like his movies. He did... Um, God bless America. I don't know if y'all remember that one. This was my
0: first Bobcat movie. Very
3: he does like very cynical, bleak, kind of subversive stuff. And this movie stars Robin Williams in one of maybe not one of his final performances, but it it was kind of sad. I got kind of sad watching this movie because it does deal with some themes that would come up in his life towards the end, but in this movie, um Robin William plays an English teacher named Lance, who is a struggling writer. He's written all these novels, nobody reads them. He really wants the fame and that, like, the attention that comes from being published. And he is the father of his son. Um, I forget the actor's name, but I really want to give him a shout out. I think he was Uh, in Spy Kids. He was a Spy Kid. He's uh, a
1: Megan Trainer's husband. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, What a
3: performance. Daryl Sabara. Yeah. uh, who plays Kyle. (laughs) We have like just right off the bat, I saw this movie a long time ago, like when it first came out, and his performance has always stuck with me throughout the years of like (laughs) truly a vile, unlikable, piece of shit, teenage douchebag, and like no redeeming qualities with this kid at all.
0: I think it's very notable that like this movie does fit extremely well in the topic, but the lie at the center of it, and, like the fraudulent behavior, doesn't yeah. start until like forty minutes to an hour into it. Yeah, because yeah. the movie can't let go of the central performance <laughs> from this teenager who is one of the most despicable characters I've ever yeah. seen on the screen. And I, I do, so but awful. I do
3: think that that structure is necessary. Yeah, yeah. Like, I missed him towards the end. Yeah, it has to. We got his ghost. Bring Kyle back. It has to like portray him and like flesh him out because the stuff that happens later wouldn't be as like darkly funny. And yeah, so this kid sucks. Everything's gay. Metal is gay. Uh, his dad's gay. Art is gay. Movies like are gay. He doesn't any like music. anything. He <laughs> has- I heard he loves
0: Bruce Hornsby though. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: he's a chronic masturbator, and he's really into like you know, German scheisse scheisse porn. 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 And
1: Watches his old lady neighbor. Old
3: dress. lady neighbor. Yeah. He's just like a little, he's it's taking horrible. pictures of his dad's girlfriend under the table. Yeah. Total pervert. Yeah,
2: he's like total id, absolutely. Like everybody is either like a piece of shit and worthless to him or like an object to And he has this Oval. one
3: friend who's kind of like <laughs> Stockholm syndrome like he, like he's kind of a victim and all this. And th- his friend is so funny. Cause he really just wants to hang out with Robin Williams. Like he, <laughs> he doesn't a have dad. a dad. dad. So anyway, another thing that Kyle is into is erotic autoerotic erotic asphyxiation, um, which in the very first scene of the movie, Robin Williams character walks in on him with like a belt or I think a tie wrapped around his neck jerking off. And, uh, So from the get-go, you're like, oh shit, okay, this kid is damaged, he's into weird stuff. And
0: Do you know what the grimmest detail in that scene to me was? What? Okay, getting a look at his bedroom, you know, we we know that he hates art and he thinks it's for queer people, uh, who he does not have a very high esteem for, but like... On his wall, you could tell there used to be posters for things he was enthusiastic about. Yeah, and like this, just this void. Yeah, where, yeah, like saw, the, like when dust has gathered around gay. the edges of those. Another
3: yeah. great detail with the Kyle character is like the sweat. Uh, his face, yeah. always is he's glistening, like you, he's just panting with raw, just like, and it does remind me of that. There's that phase in adolescence, like those mid teen years, if you're a guy, where you're just like horny all the time all you think about is sex you're like Hanna said pure id and like you're antagonistic to everything around you and again it, like his performance is great it really captures that in a really distinctly unlikable yeah way. i
0: see why even your own parent would find you disgusting and like hate you right at but that age.
3: <laughs> but in this film lance does love his son as a father would try to love someone as unlovable as this kid. And so like Brandon was saying, about forty minutes almost halfway into the movie, he walks in on his son who is like accidentally strangled himself. I think
2: while masturbating while to ma- photos of his Robin girlf- Williams's girlfriend. Of, yeah, oh. pictures
3: he took of <laughs> his girlfriend's <laughs> panties. Yeah. So yeah, He breaks down crying, discovering this, and he makes a decision to kind of stage the scene to make it look like a traditional, well, traditional, but like a suicide. And where I think the humor really turns up in the next act is like everyone in the school starts to idolize him. And again, with that setup of, kind of seeing him interact with those students, seeing how awful he is. Like, no one liked this kid. The principal didn't like him. His teachers didn't like him. He was picked on because he just sucks. Everyone didn't like him. And then through the act of suicide, he is kind of put on this altar and all these different groups kind of project onto him their own depression. And the Robin Williams character also writes a fake suicide note, which gets a lot of circulation in the school and that lie sort of snowballs into like a diary that gets published and his fame kind of grows as well, which is kind of what he's always wanted. So he's using his son's death in kind of a selfish way to get the thing he always wanted, but also kind of trying to keep his legacy. It His character is like, I thought, very complex and like his motivations are selfish and wrong but also it's like a dad that wants his son to like have a better legacy i just thought there was a lot of nuance to his uh character and performance and i i really like this movie cuz it is very funny in parts especially the early stuff with Kyle and i think it is saying something really interesting about how suicide tends to romanticize people. And you've seen that kind of still in culture now and kind of how when someone dies, we also tell lies about how great of a person they were. Like anytime you go to someone's funeral, it's always like, oh, the, you know, they were wonderful. And secretly like everyone's whispering like, oh, they were they were terrible. Like, So it's like kind of touching on those themes in a really caustic, uh, I, I found like kind of moving towards the end, especially with kind of knowing that Robin Williams ended up committing suicide and he has this glorious triumphant scene at the very end of the film where he just openly says like, yep, I lied. It's all bullshit. And he's sort of freed of that. And he jumps into this pool and it's this, uh, you know under pressure is playing that did not work for me at all really it like
0: was odds era clichés just like one after another in the last like 10 minutes of this but
3: i i just i thought again knowing right yeah you stop thinking some,
0: about the character and start thinking about the i think
3: about Robin williams right, I it. um but anyway i i really like this movie i think it is very dark it's pretty fucked up it is very funny uh, and I do think it has something interesting to say about suicide and about kind of elevating people once they've passed on. And again, a very unique performance uh, with one of the most unlikable characters <laughs> in any film. Uh, so yeah, I, I do. I did enjoy this movie. I don't know, uh, how did you guys feel about it?
2: I really liked it too. And I wanted to kind of like touch on what you said about the nuance of his character like I feel like this movie looks a lot at where we seek validation and what kind of validation we um, will accept and appreciate and what, what we don't because in the beginning of the film Robin Williams says like that he's never loved writing enough like he's always wanted to be a famous writer he's never loved writing enough just for the passion of the craft like he's always wanted validation from other people. And there are like a couple of people in the film like this kid and then this like cool older neighbor that he meets that like read his writing and legitimately kind of understand him and like him and eventually form a community with him. But he is using he loves his son. He doesn't want to tarnish his reputation i guess even though i mean it was kind of in the trash already but he he is using his son both as like a way to like amplify his uh, his own writing through this ghost and then also to like exonerate his behavior as a father like part of the suicide note is like Dad, I love you, and nothing, none of what happened is your fault. Like, and Mm -hmm. like you see, Robin Williams kind of, not that he's a bad, he's kind of a bad dad. Like he's he's pushover. Yeah, he's a pushover, and and Kyle spoiling that little bastard. He's not
0: protecting the world from Kyle. He's gonna like (laughs) let Kyle loose in a couple years, and the world's gonna be worse off for it. Yeah, (laughs)
2: true. And everybody uses Kyle in death. For like various things like as, like as a projection of their desires or like as a way to um, come to terms with things about themselves. But I don't know. I, I mean, I just really thought that his conflict and like Robin Williams's shame about who he was, was was really interesting. And he kind of like finds a way to come to terms with himself in the end.
0: I think the movie kind of cops out towards the end a little bit. Like early in the movie, like that first scene where he's describing like how he wants to be famous for being a writer, mm-hmm. but isn't actually interested in what he's writing, like he's just as proud of these like two or even more proud of these two like bullshit greeting cards he published than he is by like the unpublished <laughs> novels, like mm-hmm. it's the accolades from other people that like make him feel like he's worth something and i feel like that's just as sharp as anything you'll see in sick of myself like it's the same impulse being satirized Mm -hmm. but i think after kyle's death the movie sort of lets him off the hook and there's like ugly things that he's doing and self-serving behavior that the movie doesn't really examine because it's like on his side And I feel like the further we get back in time, the more sympathetic these movies are to their protagonists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you kind of expected not okay to let Danny off the hook at the end, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And like this movie does let the character off the hook. And it's like, oh, it's not me that was the fault. It's society that's wrong. And like everyone else is phony and giving me attention for phony reasons. They're Mm -hmm. all fake. They made me feel alone even though they're around me. I need like real people in my life, which is where he finds that like sort of found family with right. the other kid. The neighbor and, and the little and the neighbor, boy. Yeah. And it,
3: it does feel a little bit like, like we were talking about in where you don't get to have your apology. You don't get yeah. to take up. Right. The, the way this movie ends is like, as long as you just admit what you did and you're honest about it, then you're off the hook. And he's like liberated from just the freedom of like, i put it out there. I put the truth.
0: Yeah. And when he does that, it's not reflected poorly on him. Right. They might hate him, but from the movie's perspective, everyone else in the room is at fault in that scene. Yeah.
2: It's not it's like true. an apology. It's like a fuck you to everyone right. that's in the room. And My son was leaves. a
0: douchebag. You all knew it. And you went along with this right. lie because it was a nicer story. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from y'all, as y'all describe what you like about it, is the same thing I enjoyed, which is like Robin Williams was a complex person that did a lot of different things. Like we the last movie we talked about with him in it was one hour photo, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not what you would think of as like a typical Robin Williams vehicle, but he has plenty of examples like that. And I think he like the one thing about him that I think like the best comedy can do is like this really gentle, sweet surface and then under it like a deep, bottomless pit of pain. Yeah. <laughs> and like he had that in real life. He was good at like putting that in his art. And even if this isn't his best movie, I think this movie encapsulates that aspect of his persona like really well. Right. It's like I can't turn on the movie for letting him off the hook because like you start reading into his real life persona even more so than the character in the background. Right. That's
3: what I was saying with that ending. It just like it was kind of bittersweet. Right. This like exhalation of all this stress and pain and, you know, being washed in the waters of the pool. There's something kind of beautiful Outside of the movie, just in his life context. But I do see what you're saying about uh, his character being let off the hook. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things where, like, I don't know what my
0: reading is in that back half. Like, there is sort of like a garden state ish, like, aughts era indie filmmaking quality to this that, like, I found to be extreme bullshit. And, like, part of my aversion to it is that I was really into that style of art at the time. (laughs) So, like, I'm kind of like. I mean you know, I cringed during cringe. some of the
3: like musical numbers. Yeah, that's
0: a great example. So like yeah. a lot of the indie music in this I thought was god awful and then watching the end credits half of the songs were Bruce Hornsby songs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like okay the joke is that he likes Bruce Hornsby and it's funny to think that a teenager would be into Bruce Hornsby and he sells that as part of the lie. So like the movie's actually committed to the joke by having that on the soundtrack.
3: And having him actually show up at In the, the end movie. of the movie.
0: Right. I don't know who this guy was. I had to read his Wikipedia after. But I like, did
3: too. I had to listen to some song. Like, I don't know, I guess. I
1: thought they made him up for the movie.
3: Uh, <laughs> no, he's a real really guy. Bland. That's so stupid to say yeah. yeah, it was just
0: something like hard to read what was earnest and what was like cynical about it, especially in the back half where like, I thought this movie was going to go for the jugular the whole time in that sick of myself kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's as extreme, but it does have that quality that I think all these movies share a little bit where it's like a mainstream feel good comedy that like developed botulism somehow. <laughs> like, you know, there's like oh, something like ugly and like poisonous yeah. about it. Uh, I've
1: found this one to be, like, similar to not okay. Yeah. In the sense where, like, it starts off, you know, there's innocence in the initial lie, right? It's like, I don't want everyone to think that my son accidentally died while he was whacking off and choking himself. I'm going to make this, like, an old-fashioned suicide to make it look more purposeful and, like, less embarrassing. And then, like, watching the, like, addiction of the attention of, like, pushing his like art through his dead son and then people like being changed b- because of it and him being mm-hmm. able to watch that because like he is pretty much like a sad bastard in this movie right yeah. like
3: and he gets his girlfriend back through right, that as like, well like
1: he's lonely his son's fucking terrible and he's older and he's dating, like, the young hot teacher. But there's that a really younger, hotter weird. teacher. Yeah. <laughs> she,
3: no chemistry She's a weird character yeah. in this, I like,
1: couldn't read her.
0: Male fantasy character. Right.
1: And then, like, she's, you know, getting close with this younger, hotter male teacher and, like, kind of blowing him off for stuff. And then, you know, just, like, watching how lonely he is. And, like, the only person in his life is his horrible son. And then, like, the horrible son is now dead. So it's it's kind of like watching him build his community, right? Now people give a shit about him because right. his dead son was so cool and artistic and no one knew and now they're discovering it. And then I guess at the end, like he did find his little community and yeah, it's the weird get, old lady next door that likes pot brownies and yeah, zombie movies yeah, and yeah, the little boy that and, wanted a
3: dad. Smoke pot and more zombie movies right. with the... Little boy,
1: yeah. God, that's gonna be me when I'm older. Like I saw so much of myself in that woman. <laughs> just hoarded newspaper and shit. I am seeing a lot of newspapers
3: stacked
0: around this apartment that I'm sitting <laughs> in right now. How <laughs> can-
4: no, i do not
0: turn away
3: any of the papers since we yeah. started our <laughs> Yeah.
2: Well, and even immediately after his son dies, it's like like nobody actually cares until after right. the suicide note is yeah. leaked. Yeah. Like he goes to the counselor, and the counselor's like so did your son have any friends? Because no one's come to visit me. Yeah, And I it,
3: I do like that his one friend is the one that immediately knows it's bullshit. Right. Where he's like, yeah, I right. yeah. wasn't that <laughs> he's smart. Like, he was like w- kind yeah. of an idiot.
2: <laughs> you know what's weird to me? He never talked this way around me. And uh, Robin Williams is like, shut up. <laughs>
3: Why don't <laughs> right. you just leave
4: it alone?
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, I just, uh, after watching this and remembering like God bless America and I do think Bobcat Goldweight has some like, things to say about the rot in America and I do like his sense of humor so I don't know I guess I I'm a fan of of this movie and his stuff in general I guess I guess
0: I I like heard how fucked up this movie was for so long yeah like maybe I'd built it up in my head a little bit that it was really just gonna go for the jugular the whole time so that when it actually did have like kind of a sickly sweet center to it that was like sympathetic to this liar I was like oh he kind of like Gives this guy some, like, grace. And he, you know, obviously puts a lot of his own sensibility into this character where, like, Bobcat is someone who's addicted to attention. That's, like, part of his job. (laughs) And he's obviously someone who likes extreme cinema. So, like, when there's all these, like, Night of the Living Dead posters and uh, Suspiria posters in the background, it's like, okay, he's, like, injecting himself in this character and not creating a satirical target to attack from
3: all directions. I do think there's a version of, I think it's trying to like maybe have it both ways, like be really dark, biting satire, but also want to sell some tickets. Right. You know, it's not willing to, like you said, go for the jugular to really there. I think there is a version of this movie that is like much darker, uh, especially in the latter yeah, it's called sick just- of myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't show time now.
3: Yeah. But okay. Like
0: what we're talking about is using tropes and like sensibilities from like mainstream comedies and being like, that's actually psychopathic behavior. Uh, like let's examine why someone would lie that way. And like what's wrong with them. And I think the next movie we're talking about doesn't do that at all. It's like all the movies we've talked about so far are kind of like re examining that personality type. From a distance, and like the last one is sincerely committed to someone lying, and like feeling full sympathy for them.
1: Yes, kind of. <laughs> um. So, yeah, one movie is not like the rest. As always, it's, it's kind of mine. It
3: perfectly fits. <laughs> yeah. Does it? Okay. We, we've been working yeah, it's, towards yeah. a lie. She's a fraud.
1: <laughs> She's a fraud, but like it's for a job, I guess. I picked Never Been Kissed from 1999. Um, this was directed by Raja Gosnell, who directed fabulous films such as Big Mama's House <laughs> and, uh, both Scooby-Doo movies. Wow. Yeah. So big deal. Um, and this is also, I think, either the first or one of the first flower production movies, and that's Drew Barrymore and, I can't think of the other lady's name, but her and a, a partner's, uh, production company. And it stars Drew Barrymore. Who I love, I I love all mm-hmm. her movies. She's like charming, and even though like, and we'll I'll get into like the plot of this movie, but everyone in this movie should go to jail,
3: including <laughs> right, that, Drew I mean, Barrymore, right? Right on so, the top, you gotta well you, did you have not to talk about trial. the plot to get there, but man, right. David Arquette deserves
0: to go directly to jail. <laughs> right.
3: A few people should go to jail. Not just <laughs> no, David David no, Arquette. Everyone. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> At least like four or five individuals. <laughs> yeah, there's
1: a big there's a big list. Um so Drew Barrymore, her character is uh Josie, and Josie works for like a paper, like... The the Chicago Sun-Times. The Chicago Sun-Times.
0: Home of Roger Roger Ebert. Ebert. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So she's like kind of fresh face, like 25 years old, and gets the opportunity to... Do her do a story, and it's bizarre how it happens because there's like a boardroom <laughs> meeting and he's like, I want someone to go undercover in high school. You you're going undercover
0: in high school, and that's how it happens. And
2: I really liked that guy, <laughs> he was just totally freewheeling.
0: Like so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I love
4: absolute chaos.
0: chaos. Why does not come to me? It's Gary. Uh it's Gary Marshall. Yeah, Marshall, Gary yeah. Marshall. Yeah. And it's so funny, like every scene in this movie for a full hour there was a new scene and a new character was introduced i'm like that person's famous i know that person it's like <laughs> gary marshall octavia spencer jessica molly Alba. shannon yeah.
1: as like the off the sassy office lady it that was asleep with everybody dr
3: steve brule is in there yeah, yeah. john mm-hmm. c riley it's crazy that James molly Franco. shannon was a bigger <laughs> star than octavia like yeah how, looking back on it now like My that's I the, have 90s the tables turned, you. right that's ma It's mom.
4: (laughs) We have a
0: star-studded cast
1: off the bat. (laughs) Um, So she gets this assignment to go undercover in high school to do like this expose, but nobody knows what it is. So she goes and has this like Y2K makeover, which I love. Um, I think she like shows up in this white white pants white like shirt with like tons of feathers and there's like the group of mean girls at the high school jessica alba's one of them yeah she has a horrible haircut and she makes a comment, like, how many chickens had to die for that ugly shirt? <laughs> so there's funny things that happen. She
0: does look like an anemic chicken. She has the frosted lipstick. She yeah, looks so Oh,
1: the good.
3: frosted with the white is
0: such a bad one. I love
1: it. I, I used to do that.
0: <laughs> I love it was that she, called Lip
1: Smackers, and it was Marshmallow.
0: Uh, besides the like cast being you know nonstop famous people, also wall-to-wall soundtrack choices. <laughs> And she pulls up to campus in that outfit with Cottonmouth King's Suburban Life playing in the soundtrack. <laughs> yes. I've never time traveled so hard to the late 90s and like. Cottonmouth such- King, yeah. God, I can't Sick. remember the last time I heard that name.
1: So she goes undercover and she does not know how to be like the cool girl in high school. And we get flashbacks of when she was younger in the 80s and she was like a big dork. But like very eager and mm-hmm. didn't understand that people were making fun of her. Josie Grossy. Josie Grossi was her nickname, right?
0: A character she has revived on her new talk show shut up where oh, she interviewed really? the cast of Dear Evan Hansen in character just, as Josie oh Rosie what really yeah. Brandon what it is one of the most uncomfortable unintentional anti-comedy like five minute stretches I've ever wow. seen oh I'm well, all for it we gotta see that she keeps doing it like she keeps like reviving characters <laughs> and interviewing celebrities in character and no one has any idea what's going on <laughs> it's That's like, so they're, like nice. we're it's not that is the of the day they're all That's baffled
1: <laughs> so was I with she um uh, um, so yeah, so she does not know how to be the cool girl and I find her to be fucking so funny and so charming in this movie where there's this scene where the hot guy in school <laughs> is this like dipshit, half-assed poet looking dude who's got like the long, you know, um, like V that shows like half his chest, yeah. like poet sleeves and it's just very like cool. Very
2: and long dress Yeah. Right. Like boot cut. And he
1: like shows up at the table because she immediately sees like the cool girls. So, Come, I'm going go sit with them, and then he shows up, and she's like, "Guy, you're the guy. Your guys like rhymes a bike. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's so funny the way <laughs> she does it because she's she carries that so well, like that type of humor, and that's like sort of that signature Drew yeah. uh, Barrymore humor she pulls in here. But yeah, everyone is like, "Who the fuck is this? Like, go away." And the only folks who befriend her are the denominators, which is like a group um, start with Lily Sobieski Sobe- and poor thing. Like her name's like Aldis and they call her Alpo. Ooh. So she's having a hard time like becoming the cool kid and she needs to for her story for whatever reason. Um, and then she's not finding good content to like write about. Like at first she's like, oh my God, I'm gonna write about all the weird shit in school lunches. And they're like, no, that's not good enough. So then they start, like she starts wearing like a camera so <laughs> they can start picking up on what she's seeing so they can figure out what the story is for her to write. And there is a a teacher who is super inappropriate. Like he's younger and like there's a romance going on between them. And we know she's like 25, but he doesn't. And I'll come back to him later. But they start to have this like romantic connection and... She finds the secret to being cool, and that is her brother, Rob, played by David Arquette, (laughs) who's also, like, 23. So he goes to the high school and pretends to be a high school student (laughs) so that he can have a baseball career. Yeah, yeah.
2: and he wins, like, the love of everyone by eating a tub of coleslaw. (laughs)
0: Vile. Yeah, I so, love watching like, that scene oh! though.
2: She's like, how could Rob be cool in just a day?
1: And then it zooms in on him, like, <laughs> chowing down <laughs> <out> on <laughs> coleslaw.
0: Pink flamingos this way to the top of the class <laughs> yeah, in like right. an hour.
1: So then he starts to, like, put little, like, bits of information out. Like, hey, yeah, I used to date her. And, man, she's, Phew, you don't know Joe. Like, the the, in, yeah. the twist of incest that we always want in a movie pops in, even though it's fake. And she becomes popular because of that. And her denominator friends immediately dump her because she's hanging out with the popular people. So then she kind of goes through all these, like, conflicts with all these students that she has inappropriate relationships with. Like, she's flirting with, like, the hot guy in the high school that is, like, way too young for her to be flirting with. Um, She's manipulating and fake mentoring, like, this young girl um, and pretending to be her friend it's just icky and i understand like there's a purpose to it like it's her job and she's undercover for this job but she she has to be a fraud for her right. job right exactly like she <laughs> she has to be a fraud but it's like it gets really personal um and then all of this explodes at a prom which i don't understand like the obsession with prom like when i was in high school it was like okay there's prom, go or don't I, go. This, it was it. like, what's
4: the theme?
3: My right. theme love got the stolen. With the theme. And <laughs> the I love that they theme. get upset that the millennial theme was taken right. by another school. And
4: they're
1: pissed as fuck. And then the new theme is like, famous couples throughout history. Like, Josie,
3: you, you're smart. You <laughs> yeah. you come out with the theme. <laughs> Josie will
2: know. Right.
3: Second um,
0: Ebert reference, too. Like, uh, there's uh-huh. Siskel and Ebert are a famous couple at the prom. Oh, yes. Uh, oh. And I think, like, It's less about how important high school prom was to us and how important it is in real life and more about how... Every like John Hughes style high school movie oh, has to Totally. End at prom. Right. Like it's yeah. more about the tropes of the
3: comedy. It not, is like, something that is built up even now though, by movies. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But just in yeah. culture in general, like, yeah, prom's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Prom
2: was a big deal at my high school. It really?
3: Yeah. I didn't go to mine. The either, themes but, but, were and, a
0: big
2: deal too. I didn't even think
1: we, I guess we had one. I didn't go. But I just thought that it's was a Midwest like, thing. We wouldn't yeah, understand. Totally.
2: Everybody is obsessed with prom.
0: That's John Hughes country though, you know? Yeah.
2: There you <laughs> go. We had a uh, it was 007 my Oh my god. Wow. That cool. Yeah.
3: The the prom the prom scene was very fun though just identifying the All different the the yeah. show up yeah. in the DNA. Double, Double helix, See, it. Right. And it's my stu- it's stupid.
2: My response was like, "These people are very underdressed for prom. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it
3: felt
1: like a Halloween party." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, she shows up, and she, of course, she's in this gorgeous like Renaissance dress. She's in
0: her Ever After, Ever uh, After. Right? <laughs>
1: and then it's revealed, you know, she blows her cover at the prom and is like, "You know, I'm 25 years old. I'm a reporter. Let me tell you why you all suck." And the teacher. Immediately is like, oh, now I'm totally not into not it because into you're 25. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, is that what just it is? no, he was
2: just mad because he felt Yeah, he felt lied to, and he felt by but, but that. But,
1: if anything, he should be like, oh, I'm so glad yeah. you're not underage. Like, right, that's I don't what know. I. Don't,
3: the conversation <laughs> after is what's weird to me. Like, yes. he's so angry. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you be happy? Like, oh, I was attracted to a 16 year old, and <laughs> turns out she's actually my age. No, but you would fantastic. <laughs> you There's would. such a creep.
2: You Everyone's would have a creep to
3: creep in this movie. You would have Straight to, to
2: think that, like, okay, she's just fucking lying about everything. You know, well, right.
0: it's like it's like he's been tormented inside right, the whole exactly. movie. It's not like he's pursuing her the whole time. He's like, I shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I feel bad that I'm attracted to Boys you. Boys are gonna
1: line around the block for you, but y'all shouldn't be telling me this. Okay, I'm like, yeah, you should. Yeah, he
0: really shouldn't. <laughs> no. Yeah, but that's like, so
3: unethical. I do. would
0: be angry if like I found out that like. All those conflicted, tortured feelings <laughs> yeah, I was for having no about my best student
3: were completely
0: unnecessary. You got exposed okay. the but pervert, and that, you weren't the things, really, but kind of.
3: If if he if any teacher in my high school did that with a sixteen year old. Student did what specifically? Because he didn't do much. Uh, ride the Ferris wheel, together, them
0: wheel
1: up up and or get not. like super dance? inappropriately. Like having those conversations are so when, inappropriate. When did yeah. you see a
3: teacher ask a student to dance at prom? I didn't go to prom. I wouldn't. Know. I didn't well, go to prom. So, <laughs> like, and if it did happen, it would be a big scandal. But in high school,
1: like I, there were a lot of male teachers like that who like the girl students would come in and be like, are you my boyfriend? He'd be like, I'm not your boyfriend, I'm married, but if you want to stay after class and sit on my desk and talk, you can't. (gasps) Like, it was gross. Like, so much of that happened in high school. So, like, my history with this movie is I watched it a shit ton of times. Like, when it came out, I thought it was hilarious. I would rent it all the time. And it sort of reminds me of how normalized that behavior was in high school, like, in the early 2000s and, like, late 90s of, like, female teachers like flirting with the football players, male teachers inappropriately flirting with like the female students and like making comments and like letting them stay after class, sit on their desk and flirt. And it's like, it was so normalized. And when I see movies like this, that like, sort of normalize the hot teacher behavior, yeah. it's like, oh, it re- it's so icky to me now.
3: But really the grossest thing, person in that regard is David Arquette yeah with this 16 oh, year old so, gymnast girlfriend, the, the, the scene girlfriend. Prom where she's putting her legs behind her oh, head yeah like I'm yeah. so flexible and he's so confused. He he's like, just peaced out yeah he's like damn I'm conflicted I kind of want to bang this gymnast right. but I'm like oh But like
1: everyone's like that like he's the worst you're totally right but like even the guy who works for the Chicago Sun that's in the van he's like man they didn't make him like that when I was in high right. school and it's like gross dude like go to prison as well Every Everybody. I feel like in Ebert's
0: uh, review, he talks about the brooch that she has where everyone can watch what she's doing. He's like, thankfully, we don't actually have that at the Chicago Sun time, so that my editors don't have to sit around and watch the awful movies that they pay me to watch, like <laughs> baby geniuses or whatever. Yeah. But I think exactly what we're doing right now and like picking at the ethics and like yelling at the characters, like get out of there, don't do that. Right. I think that's like an inherent, intentional part of this kind okay. of like mainstream rom-com filmmaking. We talked about it a little bit oh this with uh my best friend's wedding where that movie acknowledges that that character is acting psychotically and like and unethically and like she recognizes that she's pond scum about halfway through the movie yeah. yeah. but i feel like before that it was just sort of normal behavior where these like protagonists would like do unethical things and like get kind of like manic about trying to make this relationship work and the movie's working you as an audience where you're getting worked up and yeah. you like Want to see them come clean, or you want to see yeah. them kiss, or you want to see them drop the act, or whatever? And like all of the movies we've talked about before this today have gotten past that, where like all of that unethical behavior is being more examined and yeah picked apart. And I don't know that that's necessarily better. I kind of like the earnest, sympathetic, kind of brain dead approach to the material, where it takes it very sincerely.
3: I know I'd brought this movie up a few episodes ago, but. The Jennifer Lawrence movie from this year, No Hard Feelings. Mm -hmm. I want to see that. It was a lot of, you know, a lot of, it was like, oh, a throwback to those old school kind of comedies. And I think that's kind of what you mean. Like, it's, it is problematic. Like, she's a 28-year-old dating a 17-year-old, you know. And then the movie gets into, like, how kind of fucked up it is, but it sort of just plays it straight. And there is something kind of liberating yeah, it's that. like we
0: don't have to pathologize everything that these fictional characters do. Right. No one's actually getting harmed in these movies because they're not real people.
3: I mean, my no, my issue, I, I thought that was just like a fun kind of side thing to be concerned about. <laughs> yeah, my real right. issue with the movie was that it's a mess and that there's like <laughs> a million characters. Yeah. Like that's, I was thinking about in terms of like the, um, the Robin Williams movie we watched. Like- where it's just like four characters, right? It's very clear who we're talking about. And in this movie, like you've got all of her people that she works with. You've got all the characters in the school. You've got her brother. You've got the guy in the van who's watching her. (laughs) You've got the guy in the van who has a girlfriend who is watching him. And it, you've got the teacher, you've got the other coaches, teacher, the and they, coaches, and they have it's, to
0: try so hard to merge those worlds. It's like, insanity. Where Molly like, Shannon gets trapped doing a sex ed lecture, right? Oh, that yeah. was pretty funny. Totally. That's
3: it's crazy. All these different threads, and there's no way it could possibly pull all that together and it doesn't
0: they try to do it
1: at the end of the movie where she's like you know she writes the article and it's basically about her experience in high school and the undercover and then i would like for the teacher to meet me on the field at this time on this right. day for my yeah. very first kiss and everyone's there in that moment right. but it, it felt weird um and i don't know i kind of like how messy and trashy it is i agree to be very honest yeah.
2: That uh, that final ploy is so funny to me. It's just, like, such a bad idea to put that in a news and just, like, hope that this guy's going to read it.
1: And he's, like, packing his stuff because he's moving. Right. And, like, the article's constantly there and he keeps,
0: like,
2: right. missing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, like, pure <laughs> fantasy, which and is fun. And I guess fun.
0: what I love about it is that it works. Yeah. Like, in any reasonable, like, movie that actually has, like, human psychology in it, like, they would have carried her at prom. No one would have showed up to this baseball pitch right. where she was like going to get kissed for the first time. No one would have... Che- they applaud her twice <laughs> after they all find out that she right. lied to them. Especially Lily Sobieski's character coming around feels so phony. Yeah. But like, I like that the movie goes for the schmaltz in those moments because that's the kind of movie it is. Yeah. Where like, I was just saying about World's Greatest Dad that like, I wish it didn't do the schmaltz at the end. Like, I wish it went a little further with its like cynicism, you know? And like... That's unfair. Like, I'm like, okay, this movie's okay for being dumb because uh, that's just the kind of movie it is, I guess.
2: Yeah, I don't think it was trying really to be like dark and no. biting in the no, sense. There's, yeah. it's, it's, there's it, an, an innocence to yeah. it. Yeah. And her, I mean, her fraud is basically like it is mandated by her job. Like, yeah. So there is a reason for it. But I, th- I think so her real fraud is like. Actually investing and getting caught up in these relationships. Right. Right. And it's like, you know, she had this crush when she was in high school and he completely humiliated her. And like that is kind I think that's her fawning over the popular guy in the current day is, like, so over-the-top ridiculous for a 25-year-old. But right. it's, like, she so she was so robbed of a real high school experience. Yeah. Like, that's where she, she is. She had all and that damage. Right. And
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, so bring thing. it back to the Robin Williams thing of, like, bringing his real life into it. Like, Drew Barrymore was robbed of yeah, her a childhood. real teenage experience. Totally. And, like, we love her, you know, or you're supposed to anyway. And, like... A lot of the behavior that would be unforgivable with a different protagonist works because she's so adorable. I know. She is, I
3: really like her. And like, it's always, it's funny in these kind of movies how, and she is beautiful too. And how they try in the beginning of the film to cover up how, you know, put her in the worst outfits in brown hair. hair Those external braces braces that come with like a headpiece. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the end, she's like the Drew Barrymore that we know and love. But, um, I don't know. I, I don't think I like this movie as much as everyone. I like it okay. and I I like it to, a lot. I don't know. To me, the quintessential, well, two things I wanted to say is like watching it. When did this come out? Like 90? 90, 99. 99. In the Cottonmouth Kings era. Yeah. There's something about this era of <laughs> pop culture where I'm like looking at the outfits and the music. I'm like, I lived through this. I know I was like a teenager, but man, this doesn't seem like real. Like, people actually wore that. We actually were listening to that. It's just such a weird time capsule of a specific moment. And uh, the scene that to me really encapsulates that is that scene where she goes to like uh, Rastafari. Oh, that's she, comedy
0: she, death, it's like that a whole ska, sequence. That ska scene. Oh,
3: boy. She goes to see the ska band and she eats like a pop brownie and she's hanging out with the Rastas <laughs> And then she starts dancing very awkwardly, and that whole thing felt very 1999, but it wasn't funny. It was kind of awkward, and everyone looked weird, and the music was strange, and there was just something about that time capsule where I was like, damn, like, 99 was a different time.
1: Like. So I laughed a lot for that,
3: but <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> she's think, funny. But
1: I think it's partially because, like, I remember like when it came out, and like it was me, my my first cousin, and my mom and her sister, and we all were like obsessed with how funny this movie was, mm-hmm. and we would all watch it together. And it's we would, like
0: sleepover fodder. Yes,
1: we, we would watch it sleepovers, so and we would die laughing yeah. during that scene. So I don't know. I guess like it triggered all these cool memories for me. Yeah, and like fun real quick story related to this, but my cousin is kinda was kind of like a dipshit and he would always like antagonize my mother and in the scene where she gets egged he would like laugh and then look at my mom,
0: <laughs> and then to, like, she laugh would laugh at her lowest it. moment. Wow. Yes,
1: and he would laugh and look at my mom. I'd be like, "That's not funny. That's mean." Yeah, and he would do it all yeah. the time. So when I watched that, I couldn't stop laughing because of that. Yeah. Right. So beautiful, that, uh, heartwarming moments. You know,
0: Wedding Singer is one of your favorite movies as well. It's,
1: uh, it shares the top spot with Roman Michelle's High School Reunion. That makes sense. That's my favorite movie of all time. So and and yeah, this right, has right. a lot of shared yeah. DNA with Wedding Singer. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah, Ugh. Wedding Singer is so good, though. This was a good one. um, And, f- and she was a, a good fraud. Yeah.
0: I was surprised by how well these movies bleed into each other. Like, this one and totally. World's Greatest Dad have the weed brownie connection. Yeah. And, yes. Who would have uh, thought? Th- there's a lot of group therapy humor in the first two movies we talked about. And then overall, all of these movies are about the media, too. It's all about getting yeah. published and getting totally. mass attention outside of your small circle. Th- this was,
3: like, low-key, thematically, a very cohesive episode. don't know know how we did it. (laughs) Right. I know you didn't intend that, but it came out (sighs) like magic. As I was watching every subsequent film, I kept thinking about the other ones and like how they sort of thematically bleed into each other in really interesting ways.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when you become a wide scale fraud, it always has to like go into the realm. Like there are all of these spheres of people that you have in a community. And it's like, it extends out into this widest level community. So in Never Been Kissed, it's like her, you know, Chicago, like that city. And then in all of these other movies, there's, it's like mass media. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like, like we want validation and we don't know what scale of validation we want. And I don't know. I think public perception can just like totally twist once you're getting out into the realms of like, once your fraud has ballooned into something larger.
3: Yeah. The bigger the public spotlight on you, the more scrutiny to your story. The internet and social media has not helped. That's what I learned. uh,
4: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know.
0: uh, Seeing more recent examples of this either. And uh, if there's one thing that we do well here, I I don't know that like our new Orleans centric gimmick is particularly strong. Like it's not like a strong brand. Cause we don't talk about like just Louisiana set movies, every episode or whatever. Uh, I do think we have a good like taxonomy of like genre structure. Uh, and you know, this is a genre, whatever this is, like mm-hmm. this, like total fraud setup is a trope that has been repeated and has its own, you know, rhythms to it. Mm-hmm. So tell your friends if they're really interested in getting into particular micro genres This is the podcast for them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to reach more people outside our circle right now. (laughs) No, don't do it, Brandon. (laughs) How
1: can we become frauds to do that? Like,
0: Well, did you read that article about um, movie TikTokers? No. First of all, they call it movie talk instead of flick talk, and that really pisses me off. (laughs) Just like leaving that on the table. (laughs) But uh, yeah, these kids are like getting... This is a New York Times article from the past week, and these kids are getting like millions of clicks and views every day. Doing these like really base level, non observant IP centric TikToks about movies and about how like you have to be a true Snow White fan to play Snow White oh, or God, like this yeah. Easter egg happened in this mm. section of Super Mario Brothers, the movie or whatever. That's our, if we want to be a total frauds, we transition from <laughs> podcasts and blogs, both dead mediums, to, to movie talk. Movie talk, yeah. Let's do it. All right. Flex on Movie Talk next week. That's it. Just unsubscribe, <laughs> unfollow. <laughs> See you <laughs> on the next platform.